Welcome to Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Gwen Goodkin, the author of the short story collection, A Place Remote. The novel she's currently working on, The Plant, was named a finalist in the Faulkner Wisdom Novel in Progress competition, and her TV pilot script, The Plant, based on that novel, was named a quarter finalist for Cine Stories TV slash Digital Retreat. Gwen has won the Folio Editor's Prize for Fiction, the John Steinbeck Award for Fiction, the Silver Prize short script for her screenplay Winnie in the Beverly Hills Screenplay Contest, and the Eyewear Publishing's Beverly Prize for her essay collection, Mass for the Shuttings. She has twice been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Gwen's educational background includes a BA from Ohio Wesleyan University and an MFA in creative writing from the University of British Columbia. And she also studied at the Universität Heidelberg. But it's her multiple physical addresses that are tied to today's talk. She was born and raised in Ohio, then moved to Troy, Michigan, then LA, and now lives in Ensenadas, California with her husband and daughters. In today's conversation, we'll discuss how the memories of home, both good and bad, work their way into our writing. So welcome to the podcast, Gwen. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And it's so nice to talk with an Ohio writer. So, um, you know, you, as I mentioned, you've lived in quite a few places over the years, starting out in my home state of Ohio, and then Michigan, LA, now in San Diego County, where you've been for 18 years, the longest you've stayed in one place. So in a sense, you could say your roots were always subject to replanting. Has this experience worked its way into your writing, either as fiction or nonfiction? Um, yes, uh, definitely has. Um, part of part of it is more the experience of con- of moving a lot. In that, um, when you go to a new place, you know you become an an observer. You have to figure out how to navigate your way around the place and figure out what the culture is. And even though, you know, I spent the first 22 years of my life in Ohio, I moved during that time. And I started actually uh, in a suburb of Cleveland called Strongsville. That's where I started my childhood. Um, And then moved to the smaller town of Ottawa, Ohio, which is on the other side of the the state in Northwest Ohio. And, and you would think that because I was staying, I was still in Ohio, that it wouldn't be that big of a deal or that big of a move, but it actually was um, a, a big move for me. First of all, I was an adolescent at the time, which is, you know, a fraught time of life, but um, to move from a suburb of a city to a small town, they have different social codes. And, you know, now that I'm older, I can look back and see this, but I didn't, you know, realize this as much when I was a kid, but um, I, I have, I've put a lot of thought into it. And uh, in Strongsville, where I lived, I lived in a a neighborhood called Hunting Meadows. And um, it was, you know, a very solidly middle-class area. It was a new neighborhood when we moved in, my family moved in, Um, like our, our house was new construction. And then like across this main street was um, a neighborhood called High Point. And those houses were bigger with bigger yards. And even, so even the naming to me, when I look back is, is kind of aspir- aspirational, you know, you're, you're hunting to, 
to, to go to this higher point, you know? And in small towns, um, that it's, it's kind of frowned upon to, to be um, openly, uh, not, not aspirational, but I mean, I, I feel like in a small town, like a big, the biggest compliment you can get is like, see that guy over there wearing the overalls, he's a millionaire, you know, or some, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more, uh, it's looked upon better to be humble. So um, I think, you know, moving around, even, even up to Michigan, that's, that's a different culture too. So moving around, you become an observer of your surroundings and trying to, to figure everything out. And I think while that wasn't a great experience as a kid, that's a great experience for a writer. Absolutely, I can see where that, that, uh, that would give you some advantages because it does expose you to a lot of different attitudes, cultures, behaviors, characters. You know, we, we, collect, we collect that kind of information, stick it in the back of our head until we need it for a story. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your short story collection, A Place Remote. Now, that's about people from all walks of life in a rural Ohio town who mm -hmm. have to face the dramatic events of life head on. Now, was setting the stories in Ohio your way of returning home, figuratively speaking? Yes, I, in, in a way it was. In a way, it was, you know, me kind of parsing that experience of moving and and you know, I came in as an outsider, even though that's my family's hometown, that's where my parents are from. I didn't grow up there. And so in a way it was my, you know, uh, coming to terms with what that experience was like coming into a town as an outsider and, you know, trying to gain acceptance, but not really doing a great job of it. Um, and then, and then now that I'm an adult thinking, well, did I, do I, did I want to be accepted? <laughs> Was it that was it that important? Should I have wanted it? Um, I don't know. So uh, it definitely is a way to. It's a formative thing in life, and it's it's a good thing to reflect back on. And maybe you know, by writing these short stories, it's kind of my way of saying, "See, look, other people behave badly too." Or not that I was badly behaved, but uh, like I said, I didn't quite get all the social norms uh, right away. So um, made for some interesting experiences, but. Um, yeah, I think it was a way to, to ex explore that situation in that time of my life. I think sometimes too, um, when we, when we do that kind of writing, whether usually if it's in fiction, it's almost like as if we have a character who's sort of a stand-in for us and we're trying to, in a sense, relive fix, edit, whatever we got wrong the first time and say, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I blew it when I was there, but look, my character might be handling this better or my character is even worse than me, whichever, whichever the case may be. But um, yeah, it, it's just, and, and I think maybe depending on how, how the circumstance was or how bad it was, it might almost be a a healing or an understanding or forgiving type experience too, because, you know, when, when you move as a teenager, you know, and you leave all your friends behind and then you go to a totally different kind of environment, um, there, there's just a lot of, a, so much adjustment and, you know, and you're not prepared for that. So it's, um, 
it's, it's kind of like, okay, let me, let me go back through it again from the hindsight of being an adult now and, and uh, see if I can make some sense of it or rewrite it or whatever it takes. Um, another big change is, um, and, and you brought this up in other interviews you've done, that when you started writing the stories in, in that collection, uh, you started writing them before you had children. And then of course you had children. So has your writing or the topics that you explore in your fiction, um, has it changed as you transitioned from the land of no kids to the mother world? Yes, it definitely changed um, for me in that, um, you know, when you give birth and even breastfeeding and taking care of a newborn, your body in a sense feels no longer your own, even when, when, even when you're pregnant you know, it's your body's no longer fully your own. Um, so for me, that experience was a bit of detachment from my own body, if that makes sense. Um, and when I was, when I started writing, a lot of the stories in this collection are from a male point of view. And I did that on purpose just to create some distance between me and the characters. Um, but I found after I had children, I, I was writing more female characters um, and the writing took on a bit of, you know, more, it was more magical realism than just straight realism. And then, um, you know, veered into fantasy. And a lot of it had to do with women's bodies merging with nature in a way and women finding their power through that, which was, is completely different from the stories I wrote um, and that ended up in a place remote, which are male, um, male points of view. So um, yeah, definitely motherhood definitely changed my writing in that sense. Yeah, and, and I can, I can see how it would, you know, having had two kids of my own, it, it really, it, it's a totally different shift in, in your identity. You know, I mean, it's, it's a physical change, it's an emotional change, psychological change. And it would, it would be expected that it would show up in one way or the other in the type of writing that you do. It, you know, the only variation would be in in the genre that you pursue or the or the or the actual storylines. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of a kind of a big deal there. You know. Yes. <laughs> It's a, and, and there's no, there's no taking a break from being pregnant. It's not like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this pregnancy job for the next six months. And then can I have a month off for vacation and then I'll come back. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, doesn't quite work that way, you yeah. know? So it's, um, yeah, it, it can definitely, uh, it's definitely interesting. And I, I don't know that it's anything you ever forget because, um, one of the things I, I realized I, I wrote a lot of stories about mothers and children in one way or another, either, you know, the dynamic is, is very hostile or it's, it's very tender or whatever. But the one thing I've noticed is as I got older, as my parents got older and you knew, you knew what was down the road, the, the idea of motherhood was still there, but it became, it became mixed in with um, mothering my parents in a sense, you yeah. know? So you never, you never quite stop 
mothering. I mean, if, if you're, if you're lucky and you have a good relationship, then you have that, that ability to kind of trade places with your parent and now you're taking care of them, but the emotions are the same, you know, it's, it's the same thing all over again. And then I, I saw that come out in my writing where then the writing shifted from adult child to elderly parent, you know, the focus. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, it's, I, I think in that respect, maybe women have a little bit of an advantage. It's, it's not that men can't write about parenting, but with us, it is such an intense experience because it is such a physical experience. Yes. So, you know, I mean, they, they can never quite get into it like we do because we are the bearer of the child. So, yeah. And mental experience too. Yeah. You know, there's, there's like a mental shift in, you know, what I've just done, what I've just, my body has just done. And that even that separation, physical separation kind of becomes a mental separation too. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, this, this, uh, next book of short stories I'm working on, um, as it relates, as I was saying with motherhood, it is more in tune with nature and women's power and their bodies. But I also, um, in my current book, A Place Remote, I wrote a lot in first person. And in this next book, I'm writing more in third person. So even that kind of, even the point of view I was writing in shifted. Is that, now I think so when you're writing in third person, do you think it's because you want to set a little more of a distance between yourself and the characters? Yes, um, because, you know, as I said, I was writing in a male point of view to create distance initially when I started writing short stories. Um, and then now that my characters are more female, that I thought maybe the third person would be create the distance that I needed that I didn't have now mm-hmm. by shifting point of view. So, and, and I think it's also more challenging if you're doing a whole collection and you do the entire collection of short stories in first person and they're all separate stories. They're not like the same character. That's so much more difficult because you have to make sure that each story's voice is so distinct that no one confuses one story with another because it, it's all in, you know, because you would do it all in first person. But um, yeah, third person definitely lets you move back a little bit. You know, it's, it's um, you can mm-hmm. be a little more objective with your characters. Now, I, I noticed when I was going through your bio that you write fiction, nonfiction, screenplays, teleplays, stage plays, and, and each requires different creative skills and technical abilities. It's like traveling to different parts of the literary world. So how do you prepare when you're switching genres? What do you pack in that creativity suitcase to make sure you have what you need? And does it change based on the type of project you're working on? Um, yes. Uh, the funny thing is I, don't, I try not to think too much about the technical uh, aspects of it because then I, I feel like it almost becomes overwhelming and you get bogged down. Um, but um, when you're doing something like a screenplay or a stage play or teleplay, you have to, everything has to be external. You can't 
you know, have any kind of internal dialogue going on. It all has to be external. And I think, you know, that is helpful also for when you're writing prose. I mean, you, you, you know, I go back and forth um, and each can inform, each genre can inform the other in different ways. Like for instance, I think writing stage plays is actually the hardest thing to do because you have to constantly keep an audience's attention. Um, and, and, and it's in a box too. It's like you, you have to set up your story in a box that everyone can see and you have to keep everyone's attention. Whereas if you're writing a screenplay, you can say cut here, cut to this, cut to that. You know, you, a lot can happen in the editing process that cannot happen in a stage play. But I think, you know, that should also lead into my prose as well. You know, I should try to keep a reader's attention. Um, we are here to entertain and, and we, we can't forget that too. It's not, we're not here just to entertain. Hopefully we provide the reader with, with something they can reflect on, but we do also have to provide entertainment with our stories. So I think about that too. Um, so yeah, I can, when I go into stage and screen, I, I have to think externally. Um, and it, it, it gives me a break sometimes too, from focusing on, on each, each word in a sentence and you can kind of just run through it and you have to go back and fix it and you have to hit certain marks at certain times, but um, it, it can give you a break from just the internal um, thought process of a character and just kind of get through the story and then go back and clean it up and fix it. But um, so yeah, those are kind of the things I think about when I go into those genres. So how, how does that work? Like, do you, do you say, okay, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to work on a screenplay and it's going to be about X, Y, Z, or do you get an idea for a story and then decide which format you should present it in? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? All of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had like a good solid answer I could tell you, um, but Sometimes, so I have this like running to-do list and the, the, the order constantly changes. And I would say the most time, most of the time when I get stuck or get writer's block or whatever you want to call it is when I, I can't decide where to go next. And sometimes what I just have to do is just sit there and wait for that pull for whatever's going to pull me. But I do have a running list of projects that I work on and, um, the key is you have to finish them, as you know, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're in the exact same boat. So if you, yeah. as long as you finish them, then that's fine. So yeah, sometimes I always call, I always say it like pops in. Sometimes a story will just pop in. Um, and I, I have to address that before I can get back to, my, to the list. That just happened to me a couple months ago. I had a story come in as, as like a, as how I refer to it. And I, I wrote that story and then I said, okay, I'm gonna set this aside, do something else, then go back and fix the story. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of getting things to a certain point, setting it aside, letting it sit, going to something else, then going back, mm -hmm. fixing it. Do you have a preference for one form or genre over another? Um, no, um, I mean, I've most, the most work that I've done is in prose. Um, that's where I have the most experience in, uh, in fiction specifically. Um, but for instance, uh, during the pandemic, I wrote um, a comedy screenplay just because I wanted to escape a little. It was an escape for me from the heaviness, you know. 
Um, and I, I thought about that before I wrote it and I thought this can only be a screenplay. I don't, I don't want to write this first as like a short story or a novel. I just want it to be a screenplay. So sometimes um, it happens like that. And other times, a lot of what I write for screen and stage, I adapt my own stories. And in a way, I feel like it's, it's an opportunity for me to either expand on the story or fix something I didn't like or, or do more with the story than, than I did with it as a short story. So um, I wouldn't say I have one preference um, over the other. Okay. Um, now, uh, we'd already mentioned that you're working on a novel called The Plant, which is also set in a small Ohio town, similar to the setting for A Place Remote. What is that novel about? That novel is set at the, a television factory and the town where I'm from, Ottawa, used to have a television factory there. And um, my grandma, my mom's mom and my grandpa, my dad's dad, um, both worked at the factory. And my dad's dad was an engineer and my grandma worked quote unquote on the line, even though she actually wasn't on the line, she was in a, a room. And, um, that started as just a short story I wrote and I set it kind of in the ruins of the factory. People were sneaking in, a, a couple was sneaking into the factory. And uh, I just started asking my grandma questions about it because I, I couldn't get the setting right. I didn't know what it looked like inside. I didn't. So the more and more questions I asked her, the more curious I became about what she did and what, what the whole process was. And so then I started asking more and more questions and I thought, well, this actually, I can make a novel out of this um, because, you know, there's, there's interpersonal drama, there's actually external drama, um, the pressure on the plant to produce and, and all of that. Um, so uh, I just, and I also lived in, in this town for six years, you know, my grandparents worked there and I never went inside, not once. And I always regretted it especially after it closed, you know? And I, although I think if I had gone in the plant inside the factory, I probably wouldn't be writing this book, you know, because I, I wouldn't have been so curious about wanting to know what went on inside. Um, so, so yeah, it spans a, a large amount of time. So it's a bit of an undertaking, um, but I'm just kind of chipping away at it a little at a time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> That's all we can do sometimes. Yeah. Um, now, are there other places, you know, you, you've talked a lot about the stories that you've said in Ohio. Are there other places that you've either lived or you've visited that you're exploring in your writing? Um, well, one of the stories in A Place Remote, the collection, takes place mostly in Germany, um, where uh, I lived for a semester in college and then I actually lived with a family as part of a, an exchange just for a few weeks. While this character in the story lives with the family for an entire year. So that was one of the big differences. It was funny, I submitted that story to a few places and, and one of them came back and said, um, why don't you just write this as nonfiction? <laughs> and I just said, well, cause every page is, there's something made up on every single page. So <laughs> that would be hard to retrofit, you know? Um, so yeah, the, the other places have definitely 
influenced uh, my writing and where I set them. Um, more of my stories right now are coming out set in California because I've been here so long and that's where, you know, that's what's around me and that's what I see. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and that, and you know, that's, and I think it's, it's interesting too, um, the fact that you've had such a, uh, so many places that you've gone to. So, you know, sometimes we can get stuck in our own geographic boundaries. So we only, we, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, a lot of novelists do that. They, you know, they write a whole series of novels that are set in the same little fictional town or whatever. But, you know, I, I do think it, it's interesting when we can, when we can be the visitor again through our writing to different places and bring out, you know, what we saw, what we felt, you know, it just, um, because everybody has a different reaction. I mean, I mean, five people could go and have the same experience you had as, as an exchange student in Germany, but no one's going to write about it the same way because everybody brings their own interpretation and reaction to, to where, where it is. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing about being a writer too, is, is so many things hit us that other people might, you know, might kind of just like go right past them and we're sitting here going, oh, let me pick at that a little bit. Let me, let me look at that. Let me dissect it a little bit. And um, not that this was exactly a physical place, but certainly COVID did have an impact. I think every writer that I've talked to, you know, talks about it in one way or the other. And because we have been so quarantined during the crisis that, you know, now, instead of having the option of let, you know, let me recharge my creative juices by going somewhere different. Okay, with COVID you can't. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'm just curious, did writing during the time of COVID give you a place to escape to, or did you find it harder to leave the real world and get into your writing? I didn't, it didn't affect me as much as it affected other people or maybe as much as it should have just because I just, I have my long to-do list and I just did it. You know, I just kept, I'm going to do this, then this, then this. So it was almost like I kind of tried to ignore it, <laughs> which I couldn't. I had three kids and they were all at home doing Zoom school for a long time. So I did my best to kind of block it out. And I would say probably the thing that impacted it, that was impacted the most with my writing was that uh, this comedy screenplay that I probably wouldn't have put high on my list. I, I moved it up to the top. Um, and that was my escape. I, you know, I really enjoyed writing that, but, um, I think maybe what it did was rearrange the order of the things that I was working on for, and, you know, maybe, maybe it was just logistically, but that was the only screenplay I worked on or screenwriting because I knew thing, you know, everything in LA was kind of stopped. So, I just said, well, let me just work more on prose then um, mm -hmm. because, you know, that I can just keep going with that and I don't have to worry about the logistics of, you know, whether filming's happening or not. So, um, so yeah, I focus more on prose probably than I would have normally, but okay. yeah. Um, you know, when, when uh, I had looked up some information about you and, and your first published work, which is called A Boy With Sense, was published back in 2007 in Reed Magazine. 
and you were 30 at the time, and um, was also the winner of the John Steinbeck Award for Fiction, which presses the heck out of me. Um, so, you know, now since then you've published so many different pieces, you know, in, in different areas. Do you think your writing style has changed over the years? Yes, I would, I would say my writing style has changed. Actually, my writing process has changed as well. Um, you know, when I first started writing short stories, uh, I would just throw down a draft and then maybe take a sentence or, or, you know, a character or something into the next draft and then write another draft. And, and um, I, I would do many, many drafts, 50, you know, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, so now I'm, I take a little bit more time with it, but, you know, after I do a first draft, I might do two, three, four revisions. And then I say, okay, this is good now. Um, and that's just, you know, practice too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we learn along the way what works for us and what doesn't. Um, so I would say more my writing process has changed um, than my style. Um, but, you know, the, the subject matter has changed. Yeah, I would, I, I would be surprised if people, because um, I've been writing kind of for 15, 16 years. So um, just we as people change throughout mm -hmm. that process. So, so it's going to be reflected in our writing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's reflected in, like you said, we, we become from a technical standpoint, we become more efficient writers. Yes. We already know the bad habits that, that we might have or the tendencies we might have. So we catch them faster so that it doesn't take us too long. But um, I, I think also the way we write uh, may change. So, you know, one of the things when I interview somebody who has been writing for a long time, I like to ask them this, when, when you think back to when your first piece came out, you know, way back in 2007, um, how did you imagine your writing life would be and how close did it turn out to be after all this time? <laughs> um, I, I like to say that I, if I hadn't been so naive and I think, I think young writers need to be a bit naive and ignorant of the process and a bit overconfident in their abilities. Otherwise, if they, if they weren't, they would not keep going. You know, if we had a true, if we had a true real perspective of what this whole process was going to be like, we'd just say, oh, forget it. This is going to be too difficult. And, you know, not that my process isn't, or my experience has been any more difficult than anyone else. It's just, it's a difficult process. Um, personally, on a personal level, it's difficult, the things that you're kind of mining from yourself, but also just the whole publishing process is difficult and slow and, and you have to have patience that, you know, I'm not generally the most patient person, but I've learned to be. Um, so does my writing life look like I thought it would? No, I don't think so, but um, I'm, I'm happy with it. I feel very fortunate to have had a collection published during COVID, um, just you know, people would say, how do you feel about, you know, having your book published? I said, just relieved, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that it actually happened because, you know, when it, my book was published in September. And so when COVID hit in March, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this might get canceled or might not happen. So, and I've been able to do a lot of events and interviews and I'm just really appreciative of all of that. So 
um, I'm happy with, with how um, everything turned out despite, you know, the world we were in. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think if nothing else, um, COVID has certainly pushed a lot of us, especially those of us, like I had my book come out in May in the middle of COVID. Um, yeah. Those of us who maybe relied on the in-person stuff, you know, I love going to bookstores. I love doing workshops and all that, right? And all of a sudden you can't do that. So if nothing else, those of us who sort of got stuck in a rut from a marketing perspective, that's when it suddenly became, I, I really got to look at this whole virtual thing. I really have to ramp up how I'm doing social media. I have to be far more aggressive and on time and everything as far as marketing. I mean, marketing is hard enough. I, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, I can count on the fingers of one hand how many writers I've interviewed who said, oh, wow, I just love the whole marketing process. I can't wait to spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what's going to work at this particular time. But, you know, we're, we're learning that um, you, you, can't, you cannot just rely on one way of promoting your work or doing your marketing or whatever. I mean, you, you've got to really move fast and um yeah you know and it's it's like and maybe that's good maybe because you know we we know that we are supposed to be you know our own best marketers but for so many writers it's like i'm having a hard enough time writing now mm -hmm. you want me to become this you know this expert at marketing my work and it's um yeah, it, it can definitely be a little challenging, but, but you know, it, it's a different angle on the business and we need to be, we need to be cognizant of that. And we, we need, and, and we shouldn't let it slide. I mean, now that we're coming out the other side, God willing, and maybe we can start doing in-person things again. Um, I think it still behooves us to not, not let go of whatever it is we've learned and keep trying to find new ways of promoting ourselves. Because if we don't, you know, with the number of books that are coming out and everything, if we don't promote our own work, nobody's going to know about it. You know, right. we're just one teeny tiny little minnow in that big ocean. And, exactly. um, you know, even if you win an award, it's like, wow, that's hot news for uh, like a nanosecond. And then <laughs> yeah. big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, I feel like the Zoom stuff actually allowed me to connect with more readers than I would have um, if I'd done in-person things just because you know again I was a first time it was my first book so I wasn't exactly going to be a huge audience draw for anyone so I got to do a lot of zoom events and you know people across the country I got to connect with and I uh, appreciated that so in some ways it it helped uh, not, not COVID, but like the Zoom of the us embracing, us writers embracing Zoom helped, helped us. So um, yeah, we definitely should not be letting that go. And I think a lot of places now that are doing in-person events are saying, okay, we're going to have, I think I just saw AWP say they're going to keep some online programming for AWP for, you know, on an annual basis. So, so that more people can access it. Yeah. And, and I think that's good too. And, and I think we've, we've gotten more used to it. You know, like the first time I had to do anything 
on Zoom, it was like, I hate this. You know, you, you felt so self-conscious and, and now it's kind of like, okay, whatever. You yeah. know, <laughs> hope for the best. And actually, oddly enough, I, for me at least, I think from watching the news, because they all had to shift to remote and seeing the times when things went badly for them, yeah. You know, they lost the signal. It froze. You know, this guy ended up upside down or whatever. Um, you know, then you stop being scared because it's kind of like if that big network with all their bucks and all their technical people can have a problem, it's not the end of the world if in the middle of my Zoom presentation, suddenly my signal drops. You yeah. know, no one's going to think badly of me. It's just going to be, this is just the way this just happens. So. Yeah. You know, that was kind of reassuring because you, you always want to put your, your best foot forward. And if you're, if you're new to the whole online presentations, you can be, you can easily become intimidated, but, you know, watching the experts, you know, do a crash and burn, it's like, okay, <laughs> then it, then it's okay if that happens to me because it's just the way it is. But yes. um, um I always like to save this question for last. So this will be the, the close of our little, uh, our little episode here. But how do you define success as a writer? What does it mean to you? How will you know if you've achieved it? Or is success always a moving target? Yes. No. <laughs> All of that. Um, for me, I think I would define success as a writer if I, all these projects that I keep talking about um, that I'm working on, if I get them in front of people's eyes, either through book form or on a screen or on a stage, I think that is how I would define success. And that's really, it sounds simple, but it's actually really hard to do. Um, and I think if you want to do your own work on your own terms, you're going to have to sacrifice something along the way. And, you know, maybe for me, the sacrifice is time, you know, it's just going to take longer, or maybe I don't get everything I'm working on produced or published or, um, but maybe I get, you know, 75% of it. Um, I, I would be happy with that. So I think that's how I would define my own success as a writer. I mean, I'd like to say awards and, and recognition and all that, but, um, you know, that's elusive and, and up to to other people, that's not up to me. I can't control that. Um, so as much of what I can control, um, if I can get that accomplished, then I'll find that to be a success. And that's really what it comes down to um, because, because you're right, we can only control what we can do. Yes. We can't control whether anyone publishes us or produces our work, we can't control how our readers react. We can only right. do the best that we can do and hope that we make that connection with at least a few people. And, and if we do, then that's just great. You know, that's icing on the cake and, and um, you know, we're happy with that much, but. Um, yeah, I feel like then I've done my job if I've connected with a reader or, you know, a viewer or whatever who says, oh, I read your story and I really, you know, liked it and it brought something out for them in particular, which is what I think good art should do, you know, hold a mirror up to people and, and whatever it reflects, it, it reflects back to them what they need reflected. So. 
Well, I have really appreciated having you here on the podcast. This has been really enjoyable. And um, I appreciate being here. Oh, it was it was great. And good luck with the projects that you're working on. And uh, let me know how things turn out. Yeah, likewise. Good luck with your projects as well. Glad to see you a second time. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. After our short story uh, panel. Yeah, yeah, that was great to be on Ohioana together. So uh, there, that puts you back in Ohio again. See, you just, you can't (laughs) escape the state. I'm telling you, I don't care where you are. You're always going to be the Ohio girl. (laughs) That's right. I'll take that. All right. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate having you on. Thank you.